Good morning, church. I'm glad that you're with us today, that you're here, uh, not just to worship in song, which is awesome, um, but also to worship as we walk through God's Word together. If you're visiting with us today, uh, we are in week two of a four-week conversation series over the life of uh, Abraham and his blended family with Isaac and Ishmael uh, and Sarah. Uh, and what we're talking about is what it's like to seek God's blessing um, in our homes and through our lives. And, and uh, this is, we're going to use a lot of family illustrations. We talked about this last week, but that doesn't mean it's applicable only if you look like this family unit. That's the whole point of the conversation, is that Abraham had a, a blended family. Uh, and in that, he sought God's blessing. In some ways, he got it right. And in some ways, he missed really hard. And so that's what we're looking at today. We'll be in Genesis chapter 17 and the last verse of chapter 16, just to tie it all together a little bit. Uh, as we look at what it's like to seek God's blessing and leading a different way than maybe you and I have been trained to most of our life and, and, and leading underneath uh, the Lord, leading underneath this vision of God that he gives us here. Um, as I was thinking about this, as you remember, if you were with us last week, if you weren't, quick recap. Um, Abram, his name has not been changed to Abraham. It will this week, so same dude, uh, name change thing happening there. With Abram, he was told he would be a great people, God was going to bless him, it was going to be fantastic, greater than his wildest dreams. And last week, he has a moment of honesty with God, and he says, hey, listen, um, Lord, I want you to know I, I love the plans you have for me, but I don't have any kids, so all this blessing is going to go to someone else's family. So it, not to be a complainer, but I'm just complaining, right? That's basically how it went. Um, if you're ever wondering what do other people's prayers sound like, sometimes they sound like a whiny baby too. Amen? Does that make you feel, feel good? It makes me feel good. So, so in that, um, God says, Abraham, I appreciate your shallow-mindedness here. Don't worry, I'm going to give you a son. You're going to have a lot of uh, relatives. Life's going to be all right like you anticipate. And so about 10 years goes from that promise until the time when uh, Abraham's wife, uh, Sarai, has an idea. She's like, listen, I'm getting kind of old. And so obviously I'm a little upset with God because he's not letting me be a part of the promise. So why don't you take uh, my, my servant from Egypt and you have a child with her and we'll be one big happy family. And last week, right men, we decided that's a what? It's a trap, right? We don't do that. And so in that, um, they have Ishmael. Uh, there becomes bitterness and contempt in the camp. Um, she gets sent away. God says, Hagar, come back um, and, and I will provide don't worry about it. Your son will not be the promised one, but he will be blessed because of my blessing on Abraham. And so all that is going on. That's been about 10, 10 years, okay, in this big picture of stuff. And what we're going to find out is Abram spent a length of time doing something. If you have your Bible, look at chapter 16, verse 16, and then 17, verse 1. We're going to spend an, an incredible amount of time in these two verses, and then we're going to like hightail it through the next uh, 24 verses after that um, as, as we go. The Bible says this, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Verse, chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, that's 13 more years, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Now I'm just going to stop right there. That means it's been a quite a while 
between when God last spoke to him and this. And in the last 13 years, Abram's been working with the, the best that he has. And what we're going to find out today is that we can work with everything we've got to the glory of God. But if God says, I appreciate your heart, but my plans are different, we have to be willing to pivot to God's plans. And that's easy to see, but it's hard to get through. And I was looking up the stories of just things that start off one way and went to the other. And I, I looked at the story of the slinky, which is pretty amazing, but then one hit that was really close to home. Uh, there was a lady named Ruth, Ruth Wakefield um, that was known to be a fantastic cook in town. Uh, and, and Ruth Wakefield, real person, she ran an inn uh, in her town, and she loved baking and providing for those people around her. Well, one day, no joke, she was baking chocolate cookies, and she didn't have any baker's chocolate. Now, if you've ever had baker's chocolate, one, don't bite it, right? That's a bad thing. But it's made to bake with, like the way it melts, the way it responds. Well, she didn't have any of that, so she just had some, like, some semi-sweet chocolate bar, and she, she broke that up and used about the same amount in her cookies, and she just thought, well, I'll stir it in, it will melt, and these cookies will be chocolate cookies like I've planned on it. Well, there's a problem with that. We, you, we know it now, ladies, don't we? When you put semi-sweet chocolate chunks into a cookie, do they melt and make the whole batter chocolatey? They don't. Do you know what they make? Chocolate chip cookies. Do you know that, that Ruth Wakefield ran the Toll House Inn in town? And from that, she started, she created Toll House Cookies. Isn't that amazing? Praise the Lord, she ran out of Baker's Chocolate. Like, none of us would have survived this far. What an incredible thing. She, I can't imagine, ladies, have you ever been hosting and you're preparing and you've got everything done and then you're missing an ingredient and you think, this is going to be bad. Everybody's coming over, they want to they wanna know how it's going to be and it's going to fall apart. But it worked completely different than what she had anticipated. I want you to know, I think that's what we're in, in line for. That's what we're in the joy for in this conversation with Abraham. He's going to have that moment of, of cold water thrown in his chest where he's scared to death. Um, but, but he's going to get over it. And through that, what we're going to do is we're going to look at God's provision through this all. And what I love about it is how real the story is. Right? Because, because quite honestly, have you ever been of the mindset that, Lord, I just love your timing? Like it just seems like at just the right time my, my daughter met this boy or at just the right time this, this man walked into my life or at just the right time I was at the right corner and this job opened up or at just the right time. Have you ever had those thoughts like, God, your timing's great until it's not, right? Have you ever been, God, at just the right time you do all these other things, where are you right now? Where are you when my kids are going crazy, when life's falling apart? What's happening right now? Well, here's what I want to put this in framework for you, walking into what Abram's looking at, right? This is huge. Because what we read in chapter 16, verse 16, is that Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. And God spoke to him 10 years before that. We don't have a record of God talking to Abraham anywhere between 10 years prior to Ishmael's birth to his birth. Okay, you follow me? So there's a 10-year, God's not visiting with me like he has. 
And then the Bible says in chapter 17, verse 1, he was 99 years old when Abram, when the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. I mean, church, that's 23 years. That's 23 years. If your child looks at you at six and says, Mom, I promise I'll clean up my room, are you giving them 23 years? Right? I mean, if you're, if you're a really generous mom, you're giving them 23 minutes. But, but it's amazing when we say, you know what? I believe God has a better day coming for our family. I believe he's going to get us through the struggle. I believe the Lord is going to, 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 to show us the way. I believe God has a plan for us. If you wait a quarter of a century, are you tempted to just do your best to honor the Lord and maybe try to help him out a little bit? I think that's what the story of Abram is right in this point. I think Abraham, just like he did with Sarah, he's trying to help God's promise come true. He's trying to do his best. And this is why this story is so potent for parenting for you and I. I think Abram is parenting with conviction. I believe when Ishmael was born in those 13 years, I believe that Abram is saying, you're it, I'm tagging it, it didn't work like it was supposed to, my wife still has a pill in her side because of all of this mess, but God, we kind of helped it, you're going to bless this mess. Have you ever had that moment, like, God, I've made a mess, would you bless it? A lot of times God's like, no, I want to throw your mess out, actually, I'm here to clean it up, not bless it, right? I mean, we know the silliness of that in, in regular life, right? We know when we come home and you've got, we have life group at our house today, so we were picking up. If your house is a wreck and your wife says, would you help me pick up? And you say, no, God bless this mess. We know that's ridiculous. We know it. And, and, and yet in our life as a family, as leaders in our home, we often find her saying, God, bless this mess. And we live with conviction over this mess. And so as I read this part of the story, I started to wonder, God, why wasn't Abram hearing from you over these 23 years? And this past Friday, I made a quick, quick trip up to a choir concert in Waco and was having a lunch with, with Ashley and uh, Alex, a uh, guy she's, she's dating right now. And we were talking about Jesus. And he said, you know what? We were praying over some things and God wasn't speaking about this all weekend. He said, I just wondered if God was wanting us to talk to him about something else. What a brilliant thought. How many times are we saying, God, I want you to come right where I am, right where I'm at, and God is saying, that's not how this works. How many times is God telling you and I that I will speak to you when you draw near to me? That, that I am not drawing near to confuse you that your mess is God honoring. So I started writing questions down. When we go through periods of time that seem like they're long periods of time, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and God is not talking to you, here's some questions I wrote down. Am I asking God about something he is not interested in sharing with me? It's time to move along. 
and talk to him about other things that he's actually interested in that have pertinency for my life. I, I wrote this question. Am I asking God, but I'm listening and looking for him to affirm me and my rightness of heart? So if he was speaking, unless he's telling me what I want to hear, I'm not going to say that could be the Lord. Are you asking God and not hearing because you are trying to give credit for things he isn't saying? God doesn't want credit for my mess. Amen? He, he's perfect. He came to clean it up. This is what James 4, 3 says. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What are passions? Passions are pride, guilt, fear, self-validation, right? Pri pri we can, all these passions, I, want, I just want to be valued. All these passions come up. What the Bible says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is when you're talking to God and he's not talking back, believer, the question is, check your motives. Are the passions of your life, are they what you're looking to feed? Or are you really looking for what God has? I, I wrote down, as a parent, if I were Abraham now looking back, I think I would rather pray Psalm 139, 23, and 24 instead of just knowing verse 1 in chapter 139. This is what 39, 139, 3 and 4, 23 and 4 say. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And you see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. It's an invitation that says, God, if there is something between you and I, if I want this question answered so badly that I have made it an idol that is causing a wedge between me and you and me and anything or anyone you would speak through, God, would you just rip it out of me because I am unable? But sometimes, and I think where Abraham is, we find ourselves just in verse 1 and we cut off the rest of the chapter of 139. Here's what verse 1 says. Lord, you've searched me and you know me. And that's it. Like, you search me and you know me. It's not an invitation. It's basically me confirming that, God, you're awesome. And, and, and sometimes when we just affirm that God is incredible, but we do not invite that incredible God to do whatever he wants in us, we tend to make what we think are God-honoring decisions in the quietness of communication with the Lord. And Christian, here's what I want you to know. I promise we're going to get into the text in just a moment. Here's what I want you to know. There's a difference between you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and Abram at this point. John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Do you know that you have the constant Holy Spirit, the active Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, that it is his Desire is his purpose to bring the things of God into your memory. So if you and I are finding ourselves in the midst of a quiet quarter of a century, three days, a month and a half, are you asking God to validate your passions? Or are you saying, search me and know me because I'd rather be right, made right by you than proven right before you? Right?
You follow me? All right, you ready to get back into the Genesis text here? We've still got 20 minutes. Oh, you're, we're golden. We're golden. Look back to chapter 17, verse 2, as we get into this. Chapter 17, verse 2. Um, the, or verse one, excuse me. And the Lord was nine, and when Abram was ninety-nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, "I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly." And then Abram fell on his face. If you're, if, you, if you're a marker in your Bible, this is a great place to mark. If you're not, that's totally great too. This is a great note to make somewhere where you won't lose it. Do you see in your Bible where it says the Lord Almighty in verse 1 spoke to Abraham? And, and then a little bit later it says he fell on his face. Let me tell you what the word Lord Almighty translated here is the Hebrew word El Shaddai. Right? And the word Shaddai means mountain. So it's the God on the mountain. It, it's the God over the mountains. And, and the, the picture of it, as you see it through the Old Testament, you'll see it often translated the Almighty God. In every instance, it's showing the overpower, overpowering presence of God, that He is over every situation, that He is over everything ever created, that there's no one that can ascend to that hill and threaten Him. There is no equal to Him. He is literally overpowering. And so this is how God introduces himself to Abraham. He doesn't come in and, and say, you know, hey, Abraham, how are you doing? He says, I am the overpowering God above the mountains. You obey me and you listen to me and I will bless you. And, and what Abraham does, not what he says, speaks powerfully the Bible says he falls on his face appropriate response when the overpowering God above the mountains says to you and I I'm speaking to you now our reaction should be humility I want you to know church if you haven't ever thought this before in your home, parents, you're the worship leader. When you get on your knees before the Lord, you are leading your children to understand that God is the overpowering God. When you pray together at night, when you refuse to let the sun go down on your anger, what you're saying is, boys and girls, it's not just to make the day good, but I want you to know this is what the Lord has said, and he is overpowering God, and I'm not willing to think that I can stand against him. God introduces himself to Abram right here and right now as the God on the mountain. And Abram says nothing. He just falls on his face. As you walk through your life, here's my question. Who is the God that you're following? I mean, for Abram, it was, it was given. I am following the all-powerful God. But right now, church, you don't have to say it out loud. You can scribble it if you want to. Right here and right now, if you were to say, God, you are the God of blank, 
would it say more about who he needs to be for you or would it say more about who he has declared himself to be see here's the here's the thing god is not some personalized god he is personal because he chooses to be but he is not personalized god god doesn't look short for this guy tall for this guy thin for this guy huge for this guy god is not something that we create and make into that drives me nuts isn't it funny how like jesus and bible characters are the only people that can change completely I mean, they can look like they were born in South Texas, North Texas, Minnesota. They can look like they were born in Ireland. We just treat God as if he is someone that we can, we can contain. But the Bible shows us that God is an all-powering God. He never ceases to be that. So when you and I, as we parent, as we love our spouses, as we are friends in our community, when God says, I am the all-powerful God, are you living a life reflecting that truth? Or have you decided God is something else? And if so, my question is, is it biblical, is it accurate, or does it simply reflect a sin or weak point in your life that you're trying to overcome? God is the all-powering God. And so leading our homes under the shadow of the God of the mountain, the all-powering God, it begins, church, with being willing to receive His blessing. That's what worship looks like being willing to receive his blessing so when god introduces himself to abraham he falls on his face and god starts pouring out these words look in your bible we'll read uh just a, a little bit in there as it goes verse verse uh, two and verse three that i may make a covenant between you and me and multiply you greatly and God and Abram fell on him fa his face and God began to talk see when Abram began leading in worship he falls on his face he hears the blessing of God it shows that Abram knew God was the God of the mountain and the humility of this moment showed two things it shows the high view of God and it shows the low view of self it shows that Abraham believed that God was greater and above all things and that he wasn't even worthy to start the conversation. But church, as biblical as this reality is, do you know that sin can twist it? And I started to wonder, and I'm, I'm thinking here, what would keep you from approaching God for 23 years? My sin is too great. He has no desire for me. Low view of self spun by sin. Or, God is so great, I am unworthy. I am unworthy to cry out to him. See, both of those things in the, in the light of the gospel are ways that sin twists and makes us keep from worshiping God as people who reach out, who cry out to him. And so it's true, you and I should have a high view of God. We should have a low view of ourself in light of him. But we need to see that God humbles us because that's the only way to draw near to him. That's the only way to move through and to him. 
And so in that, when we worship God, when we draw near to God, the answer starts to become, if I am seeing God as El Shaddai, God on the mountain, the overpowering God, am I seeing him through the lens of my sin and insufficiency? Or am I seeing him as he has introduced himself to me? Abram falls on his face and then he receives this blessing. Verse 4 through 10 says it this way. Behold, my covenant is with you, God says, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but you shall be named Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations, and the kings will come to you, and I will establish my covenant with you, you and your offspring after you throughout generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Cana, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God says to Abram, Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring, that every male among you shall be circumcised. I love this. Because Abram does nothing but fall on his face before God and says, here I am, Lord, you just speak. He's not involved in wooing God. He's not trying to prove himself right to God. He's not trying to explain himself. He's not saying, you know, bring out all the treasures that we've received. He's not trying to impress God because there's no impressing the God of the mountain. There's no impressing the overwhelmingly great God. He just falls on his face, and in that moment, God says, that's what I'm looking for. Church, do you know that in your home, it is your imperfect offering of humility that that is what God is seeking from you? If you have little ones in your home right now, I want you to know, if you want to raise them to be men and women who see God as El Shaddai, they must witness you seeing God as El Shaddai every day of their life. When we bring children into church, if we want our children, our teenagers, to grow up to be men and women who will receive the blessing of El Shaddai, of following in his footsteps, then they need to see Sunday morning in and Sunday morning out, phone call cards in the week, Bible studies, VBSs. They need to see people outside of their home in humility saying to the God on the mountain, I am here, it's about you, it's not about me. Whatever you want, I'm just on my face. You say what's next. Church, that's what the God on the mountain calls us to. But here's the problem. If you and I live a life where we have been in a silent period with God as a man, as a woman, as a grandparent, as a friend, as an aunt, as an uncle, and we've been trying to please God without him as if he's been on some vacation, we can find ourselves rebelling and not even knowing it. Skip down to verse 15 in your Bible. Look at verse 15 to 22. This is what the Lord writes, and this should be a beautiful moment, but it comes very scary because Abram has been trying to please the God on the mountain without interacting with him. This is what it says. 
And God said to Abram, as for Sarai, uh, your wife, her, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah. Her name shall be. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her, and I will bless her. And she shall become nations, and kings of peoples will come from her. In verse 17, this is the most beautiful thing a man can do when God says, I'm going to bless your wife. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed. And he said to himself, shall a child be born to a man that's 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? And then he says out loud, verse 18, Abraham says to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. And God said, no. And I just want you to stop right there. Church, when you are trying to lead your life in your home in the shadow of El Shaddai, I want you to know there will become a time, because you are imperfect, I am imperfect, there will become a time when God says, I have an incredible blessing waiting for you, and everything that you have been doing as an offering to me, everything that you've been doing on your own, that little arts and crafts project you made at school to bring home to mom, all of that, that's not it. And in that moment, you have to decide if you will rebel against God and try to rewrite God's revelation. That will be a decision that you have to make. And church, this laughter of Abram, it's not a simple struggle. I mean, we can joke at Abram like, well, God, would you do this to me? I love what he says. Would you do this to a man that's 90, uh, 100 years old? And then he throws his wife under the bus, and she's old too. And Abram, we're still working on like husband skills from last week, right? He has this moment. And in this moment, it's not some simple struggle of faith. It was an all-out wait a minute. It was like Peter telling Jesus. After Jesus says, I have to go and I will die for your sins. And Jesus says, no, you, or Peter says, no, you won't. I've got your back. And what does Jesus say to him? No. Get behind me. He even calls him Satan in that moment. This is a moment of deep disbelief, church, and we have to recognize it because for 13 years, Abram has been working on this offering for God, and for whatever reason, he hasn't been seeking God's pleasure. Maybe he was so confident that he knew this was honoring God. Have you ever been there? Like, you are so confident that your intentions are right. Your heart is good. Like, how could the Lord not be honored? I mean, I get it. I'm not really asking him about it, but I'm talking about other things to him. And he hasn't told me, you know, hey, that other thing that you don't want to talk about, I, I'm not for it. He hasn't interjected in. And so because I've been ignoring God in this area because I am so certain of my investment— I know it will please him. I know I don't even have to talk to him. And then God says, what you're doing is unacceptable. I don't think Abraham said, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. I think his face was red and his eyes were filled with tears because he thought for 13 years I have told this child a lie 
for 13 years. I have cultivated this as God-honoring. For 13 years, I have spread the news. For 13 years, God, you have to bless this. You can't not bless this. God says no. Church, have you ever been there where you have burned bridges with friends? You have torn down walls because you were so certain that the conviction of your heart was God-given, but you were too afraid, scared, prideful, certain of yourself to even ask God to search and know if your conviction was holy or if it was selfish. And on that moment when God says, the reason you are on your knees wrestling and crying out is because this has been rebellion for my glory. And I am telling you no church will you accept the position of El Shaddai in your leadership at home when God's direction disagrees with your massive investment let me tell you who wouldn't it was too much for Cain when Cain brought his offering to God in Genesis God says I won't take that that's not, that's not what I was looking for. It's not what I was asking for. And I know your heart. And so Cain rejected God and he stepped away. It was too much for Esau when his brother stole his blessing. And he had every right to be angry. And he says, won't you bless me, Father? And, and his father said, all I have for you is that you will serve your younger brother church if you reject the correction of God in your life and in your leadership then that friction that is created will cause things to rip apart because we cannot hold on to our opinions our intents and our actions and reject the direction and instruction of God and think that he will bless us You are not a failure as a parent, a spouse, a friend, an aunt, an uncle, as a grandparent. As long as you are willing to let go and say, God, empty-handed, you have said no. What's next? We live in a world where everybody else wants to make much of themselves. But I'm telling you, it's moments like that when we speak up and still accept God's overpowering position that's life-changing. As a parent, I, I, I texted Ashley even when I left. I called her again yesterday. It's so funny. I will tell you, three to one easily and probably ten to one, I mess up more as a dad than I do things well. Have you ever been there? But let me, let me tell you something. The moments that my kids remember are not the super dad stories. They're the super God stories where God corrected, directed, and made great. If, if my kids have a, 
position to be proud of them being a child of David Adams or a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords of El Shaddai, I pray that, that every story will point to them following the overpowering God, not the wannabe dad. But, but in order for them to know that, mom and dad, you have to show them and tell you, tell them how the overpowering God has corrected the wannabe dad and the hopeful mother. Show them how their hero succumbs to the discipline himself or herself. Speak not just the name of Jesus, but show them the power of Jesus when he says, no, church, do not fear the cleansing power of God. Long for it. God tells Abram, no. Look in your Bible at verse 22 through 26. When he, this is, had finished talking with him, when God had finished talking with Abram, God went up from Abraham. And then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, or brought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house. He circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. Just as God had said to him, for Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in his flesh. Verse 25, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. Church, worship, leading your home as a lead worshiper means that you must be willing to relinquish control and rely on God's leadership. You see, church, Abraham has this moment where God has just told him no, and his view of El Shaddai is greater than the pain of his failure. And in this moment, Abraham says, I'll just obey you. God, you told me Sarah would have a child. You told me Ishmael, not the one. What you told me is every man in my camp needs to be circumcised. So when God stood up and walked away, so to speak, Abraham stood up and was obedient. I don't know that the pain of his heart was, was healed in that moment. But the overpowering God was greater than the hurt that he had caused unintentionally. And so he just did what God told him to do. You told me today, this is the action. Circumcise my family, and that includes Ishmael. God, your plan, your time, your direction. In all of my life, I've been given a lot of advice about how to lead a household how to raise your children. You live authentically in the shadow of El Shaddai. Letting him cleanse your righteous, self-righteous actions and 
relinquishing control to obedience and you let your family see it. Let your family know it. How will they learn forgiveness if you never need it? How will they learn to relinquish control if your hands always made the right decision in their eyes? Here's the secret. You're not perfect. If you haven't made a long enough list of mistakes in your life, just get ready. I've got notebooks. They'll increase. But you live and lead in light of El Shaddai because your eyes are set on the mountains. Your eyes are not set on what my child will think of me, what my wife will think of me, what my friend will think of me, what the guy in the mirror will think of me. I am thinking of the God on the mountain. A sweet friend of mine has often said, sometimes I think I'm so heavenly minded, I'm no earthly good. I want to be that when I grow up. Because I think often we're so earthly minded that we think we can please the God on the mountain all on our own. You were made for more. And this morning, if you walked in this room without a relationship with Jesus Christ, then I will let you know you cannot please the overpowering Almighty God with even the greatest humility. But God so desired in his heart that you know what it was like to live in the blessing of the Almighty that he gave his only son who, who lived perfectly in his life and died for your sins and rose again that he gave him so that you could know the blessing of the God on high so if you're trying to lead your home and you don't know Jesus that's where you start in our time of invitation it's a time to respond you can respond where you are there'll be deacons at the front to pray with in our connection center after church, there'll be folks to talk with. But just don't leave without letting the shadow of the Most High just bathe you. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. Lord, when I look at Abram's story and Abraham's story, it is super easy for me to stand back and disassociate myself and pretend it's a fiction novel and have it mean no power. But God, when I look at your word and I know that it is history and the story and the testimony of a man who in his own sin humbled himself before El Shaddai, who was bold enough to confess the pain of his heart and still was willing to relinquish control of that dream. Father God, set our minds on such heavenly things. Lord, we do it for your glory. But we ask, Father, that it would be a testimony to our children, our family.